open your Bibles uh, to uh, the book of Exodus, and we will start in Exodus chapter 12. You want to have uh, yourself ready there. We've been walking through the book of Exodus over the last uh, several weeks and just kind of looking at sort of big picture and uh, tracking some things along. Eventually we're going to end up in the book of Joshua today, but I wanted to kind of highlight and look uh, at a sort of theme that happens in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy as well as in Joshua. And uh, to start us off, uh, this morning's message is inspired by Helen Ellinger, uh, our little, uh, how old is she, two? Two and a half, going on 20. Uh, she is, uh, she's a delight to be around. If you're hanging out with her, uh, you don't need to talk. I mean, she does all the talking for you. Is this an accurate description, Corey and Renee? She does all the talking. And the talking usually involves a lot of questions. She is the most inquisitive little two-year-old I've ever met. And I just love hanging out with her because it's always a new adventure of learning and asking questions, and she'll say, why, a uh, hundred times, uh, why this, and what's that for, and what does this do, and why do you do that, and what's wrong with you, Dad? Uh, no, that was just for Corey, just to pick on him. Uh, but she's a delight to be around, and there's something about children asking questions, their inquisitiveness to know what it is that we're doing, and why are we doing it. God anticipates this, and, or there is a sense of this questioning of children that is sort of sprinkled throughout the book of Exodus. They ask the question, why? And God, he instructs us to teach our children about God's faithfulness. Would you begin with prayer with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the inquisitive spirit of children. Lord, that they would ask questions about life and faith and what it is that we do. And Lord, as children watch us as adults and young adults, Lord, help us to point children to you, to your faithfulness, to your goodness, to your grace for us in each day. Lord, may our lives be a testimony of your love and your faithfulness. We love you and guide us. Open our hearts now. Open our minds to you now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we took uh, Aiden along with us uh, for family vacation this last uh, week, and um, I forgot, you know, just how much, you know, adding one more kid, you know, adds to the stress level and the bills, you know. <laughs> so it's like I'm glad we stopped at three. I my, uh, it's like how much did the bill cost? You know, that that kept uh, kept happening over and over again. But uh, we took uh, Aiden up to Kalkaska and to Traverse City, and we had we had fun and. And I took Aiden into Calcasta, and I showed him the glory land, you know, and, uh, and I said, well, here's my parents' field, this is, you know, this is where I grew up, and, and towards the end of the trip, I drove him by our, our, where, uh, the church uh, where I grew up, in the new building, and where they worship now, and, and I took him to the feed store, you know, you can't go to Calcasta without stopping at the feed store, and it was still standing, I'm not sure how, but it was there, and so I showed him around the feed store and said, you know, this, this is what provided for my family. This is where I worked when I was a young man. And we drove him around the football field and I said, this is where I played football, you know, the, the true glory land where I lived out all my glory days, you know. And showed him, here's my high school and here's my elementary school. Here's where I kissed my first girlfriend. And, you know, 
Uh, that didn't happen, but, uh, uh, you know, so I just showed him all of these things, and, you know, Aiden's yawning in the back, but, uh, uh, but as I was thinking about this, as I was thinking about sharing my story uh, with Aiden, I was sharing with him where I came from, and the story of Exodus is that. The story of Exodus is that for the Israelites. It is, this is where we came from, this is what we came out of, and it's this repeated reminder so that the next generation would know where they came from. And while it may not have meant too much to, uh, to Aiden, because he's, you know, he's not mine, but my children, they seem to care about that. This is my home. This is where my grandma lived. This is where we went. And they would, they would ask the questions, where, where did you come from, Dad? And what did, you, uh, what did you do? And what did you enjoy? And I love sharing that with my children. The book of Exodus is that for the Israelites, that they would know where they came from and what they came out of. And as we've tracked along through the story, we know that the story begins in Egypt. The story begins with the people of God crying out and saying, help us. But Moses, when Moses is called, and we spent a little time focusing in on this, Moses asked the question, okay, you're sending me to rescue the, uh, rescue the Israelites. You're sending me there to speak to Pharaoh and get the people out of there. But what is the name that I give them? Who is it that I say is sending me? And that is telling enough as it is of what the situation has happened. That there is a problem present in the Israelite community when they're enslaved in Egypt, they've forgotten who God is. You know, when they arrived in Egypt, they might have known who he was, but, you know, after one year or maybe after a, a decade or then after several centuries, the stories of faithful people that went before him have long been since forgotten. They have forgotten that the God they serve is the God of Abraham. They had forgotten the stories of Isaac and his miraculous birth. They forgot that the Lord is the God of provision and caring. That they forgot the story of Jacob and Esau, and they've forgotten the stories of the things that happened before them to, that led them there, that gave them their very identity. They have forgotten the name of their God. And so there's this sort of thing that pops up uh, that happens in several sections in the book of Exodus. And he says, you're going to be doing something, and your children are going to ask why. They're going to be little Helen Ellingers, and they're going to ask, why are you doing this? And here's what you tell them. We're going to look at a few different instances. It's the law, it's the meals, and it's the memorials. I couldn't come up with another M for the law, if you all could do that, that would be great, but, uh, but here it is, and we'll, we'll start with one of the meals, and it's in Exodus chapter 12, and it's speaking in regards to the Passover meal. In Exodus 12, verse 26, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you, then tell them. It is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when we struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and they worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So when they ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? And the Passover meal was a meal that 
Every sort of aspect of it was designed to remind the Israelites of their story, to remind them of the faithfulness of God. This is the Passover in which the Lord passed through and he spared the children of Israel. It was a reminder of God's faithfulness and his power to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. And so the answer to the sort of question is, is that why, what's the meaning of the ceremony? Why are we doing this? Why are we going through this? Why all of the ritual? Why all the routines? Why all of the special arrangements? Why is this a special moment? And they would, they would say to their kids, well, Helen, this is when Egypt, this is when Egypt held us captive but God's hand was mightier than Egypt, and God delivered us out of Egypt and into the promised land. God spared us. God's mighty hand reached out to us and helped us. And so then there's, there's other questions. There's other times that it comes up. If you hop over one more chapter, it, it sort of elaborates further on the same point, that in this meal and they're gathering together in Exodus 13 and starting in verse 13, Remember, with a lamb, every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. That's a great, exciting transition. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out, up, brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice the Lord, the first male offspring of every womb, and redeem each one of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us up, brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So that's this presentation yet again. Why do we sacrifice the lamb why do we go through these rituals and routines well it's this story that we need to keep telling the story of God's faithfulness to redeem and deliver us out of the hand of Pharaoh out of the hand of Egypt and into the hands of God so the Israelites that they their story sort of keeps going and they pass along from generation to generation in the context of a meal they tell their family story in the context of a meal, they tell their family story. This is a little sidebar, but it's important that God uses meals. There is evidence that shows that the number one thing that you can do as a family to have socially uh, and emotionally and physically healthy children is to have frequent family meals. Because in the frequent family meals and the gathering around the table, you're checking in on your kids, you're checking in on one another, you're telling stories of the day, you find out who picked their nose and who didn't, you find out all of the good information about the neighbor kids, but you find out about how well your children are doing. The way we pass our faith to our children from one generation to the next, the way God laid it out was that they would do it around the Passover meal, but that we would also do it around every meal in which we're gathered together with our family and we begin it with prayer. And then maybe they would ask the question, why? Why do we start every meal with prayer? Why is it important? Is it, is it because if we, don't, uh, if we don't pray, we're gonna choke on the french fries? I mean, I don't know the pr protocol on praying for fast food. I mean, when you're in the car, I mean, like that's, that's like, it doesn't matter, right? 
I mean, maybe you should pray. You are driving with a whopper in your hand. But, uh, but friends, this gathering around and praying at the beginning of our meal, that might be a question that our children would one day ask and say, why do we pray at the beginning of every meal? So we don't choke on french fries, and also that we would know and we would remember that it's the Lord who provided this. It's the Lord who cares for us. It's the Lord who brings us together. It's the Lord who unites us. It's the Lord who has cared for us in all of our days. And so we point our children to heaven because we've taken time to pray around a meal. Why do we do this? Why do we gather around a meal and pray together with our family? So that we can point people and point our children to heaven to remind them of where God has taken us and to where taken us from and what he is bringing us into. It's the meal. It's a meal to remind our children and teach them. There is, uh, in Deuteronomy, if you want to turn there, a familiar passage to us. It's in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Deuteronomy begins with the Shema, and the, it's the call to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, to love, uh, love God in that way. And then Moses transitions to, we need to teach our children, we need to teach our children about God and remind them of what all God has done. And there's a moment there in Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Why are we doing all of these things? Tell him we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all the law before the Lord our God as he commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Why do we have all of these rules? I was that kid. I mean, I, if there was a rule, I wanted to break it. And I would question it. Is there any other fellow believers? Uh, all right. Thank you, Tim. Yes. You know, the, I, I never met a rule that I liked. I'll tell you. And I would have been that kid. Why do we have this law? Why do we have these rules? And, and it wasn't uh, for the answer. The answer to the question is a story of God's faithfulness. The answer to the question is, is that God delivered us out of Egypt. Why do we have the rules and the laws? Because God has called us out of that to live in such a way that we would reflect God's light and love in the world. That we wouldn't murder, that we wouldn't steal, that we wouldn't uh, ha- uh, covet our neighbor's wife, that we would love and honor one another. We take these commands and we love God above all else. We love the Lord God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. We do this because God has been faithful. The laws have not been written to make your life miserable. That's what I grew up thinking. The laws have been written and we are called to obey them because God's way is better than our ways because God has delivered us into a new life. 
He's taken you from slavery. He's taken you from Egypt in a place where there was a complete disregard for a love for God, and he has called you out of it that you would love him with all that you are. Take, he's taken you out so that he has brought you into his family. He's taken you out of Egypt that you could have new life. He's taken you out of slavery so that you could have freedom. He's taken you out of the kingdoms of the world so that you can have life in the kingdom of God. He's taken you out of brokenness so that you can have life and healing and hope and love and salvation and that there can be something better for you. So he says to you who have questions about all of the rules and the laws and why are the stipulations and all of this, he says, I... This is so that you would know that you are loved and you're delivered and you're saved. And there's a better way. And it's the way of God. It's the way of his goodness. It's the way of his love in the world. He brought you out so that you could be with him. He brought you out so that you could be in his family. And so we live to our Father's rules. Not because he's bearing down on us, but because he loves us. And he knows that in a world where we are filled with so much evil and so many things that steal our attention and our worship and our allegiances and all of these things that sort of tear our hearts and our lives apart, that fill it with anxiety and fear and so much worry and brokenness, God is calling us to a place and in a life that has healing and hope and deliverance. God has taken us out of Egypt and into new life. That's the message to the Israelites, and it's a message that we adopt as our own because of Jesus Christ, delivering us from sin and death. Now, I said we would land on Joshua. Now, Joshua is another Exodus story. This is, uh, this is the Exodus story part two. And I love how my friend uh, Mark Christian set this up uh, for him when he was preaching uh, on the book of Joshua, he, uh, he talked about, uh, you know, good movies that have a part two, you know, that have a good sequel. And we're all in agreement that Rocky IV is better than Rocky III, right? I mean, can I get an amen? Yeah, there's, a, there's a witness out there. There's some smirking going on. But Home Alone, though, is better than Home Alone II, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much decided, though. Home Alone II, you know, the... It, it's got some good stuff to it, but it's not as good. But what's, you know, what are the other part twos that are a little bit better than the other? Godfather part two. I've never watched the Godfather movies, but they always say the second one's better than the first one. Is that right? You're all Christians. You don't watch bad movies. <laughs> all right. Anyways. But this is, yes, Dick. Did we write the rule? Yeah, they wrote them for us in response to our behavior. Is that, yeah, I like that. That's good. When we think about the book of Joshua, it's part two, and it's not a bad part two. This is them finally getting their act together. You know, they had to wander for a while because in part one, in movie one, episode one, they went to the promised land and they inspected it and the 12 tribes went in and Wendy has a little song she wants to sing she's shaking her head no there's like 10 were bad and two were good and all of that it's a camp song we won't go there 
But in part one, in part one, they inspect the promised land, and ten of them come back with, yeah, the land is great, but the guys are mighty, and we have no business going in and fighting. And the two said, you know, Joshua and Caleb were like, guys, we can do this. God is on our side. We can get in there. Let's go. And ten outnumbered the two, and they decided it, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And that's where we leave Exodus. And in Joshua, we get... After Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is Moses' sermon for, I mean, you guys complain about how long I go. Uh, that's 40 chapters, so good luck, you know. And so Jesus, or, uh, Joshua then takes the Israelites, and they are now ready to enter into the promised land. And in part two, they believe that God will deliver them. And in part two, they take, the, uh, they take the Ark of the Covenant, they go into the Jordan River, the Jordan River's in flood stage, and it, it dams up the Jordan River, and the water flowing to the Dead Sea is stopped, and the people of God cross over on dry ground. And so then they tell them, they, they tell them, all right, you know, just like when you go to the beach, like you just can't help yourself. If you go to Lake Michigan, right, Jason? If you go to Lake Michigan, you gotta come home with some stones. Like you just, you just got to find one. And we were just there with my kids and we were looking for stones. And, you, and uh, Joshua is instructed by the Lord, go back to the river. Go back to where you're standing. Reach into the dry river ground and pick up a stone and stack them up and take 12 of them for the 12 tribes of Israel. And then there is this presentation of it. In, jo in Joshua 4, 6, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed them uh, from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off from the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel. And if you jump down to verse 19. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and they camped at Gilgal. I'm sorry. Yeah, 419. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until he had crossed over. He did this so that all people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear your Lord. We've been on a winding path, and I started 
by drawing your attention to the simple problem that happened on a mountain. When Moses is commissioned by God to go and deliver the Israelites, he asks them, he asks God the question. What is it that we give uh, this whole thing? What, what name do we give you? And it speaks to the problem of forgetfulness. It speaks to the problem that we all sort of face of trying to remember who God is and what he can do and how he has been faithful in our lives. God anticipates this. And so he sets up memorials, he sets up meals, and he sets up laws. These rituals and routines that we do each and every day. These things that we do in these places that we gather, and he's set up in the sort of intertwining into the life that we live of everyday moments that we would do in a distinct way so that we can point people to God's faithfulness in our lives. So we can be following the rules one day. I'm working on it. And our children might ask us, Dad, why are you praying for your enemy? Why are you praying for the guy or, or gal who stole the catalytic converter out of the bread of life food pantry? Why are you praying for them? Well, because the Lord has taught me to pray for my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. Why, Dad, or do you pray before every meal? Because the Lord has provided this and he loves me and he's been faithful. Why, Dad, do you not worship uh, the Indianapolis Colts? Well, son, because I'm a Lions fan, and I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in, in suffering, right? No. When our children look at us, when our neighbors look at us, when our spouses look at us, when our friends look at us, they should see in us, in our everyday activities, a faithful ritual or a faithful thing in our life that points people to the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And so today's message is an encouragement and a reminder and also a challenge <laughs> that God is faithful and everything that God set up in all of the stories and all of the asks, it is to point them and remind them that God delivered them out of Egypt so that they would never forget where they came from so that they would live faithful where they are going. And the story of the gospel is the very same thing. Why do you take communion every week? Why do you gather with your church family every Sunday? Why do you sit through a sermon? Because they're so good, you know? But uh, also, the... Uh, but why do you do these things? Why do you gather to worship? Why do you pray? Why do you give? Why do you live generously? Why do you care for those around you? Why do you do these things? And it's an opportunity to tell our story of where we came from and to where we're going. Of what God called us out of and what he's calling us into. I am lost without Jesus, and I am saved in him. That is my story, and it is your story. That God called you out of darkness and into light. That God called you out of the kingdoms of this world and into the kingdom of God. 
God called you out of brokenness and into healing and hope. God called you out to have a life with him. That's your story. So the challenge is this. Are you faithful? Are you faithfully living your life, trusting in Jesus, so that people, when they look at your life, they actually have a question to ask. Are you praying? Why are you praying? Are you living a generous life in which someone might ask and say, why are you so generous? Are you forgiving of people who have hurt you? And that you can say, well, I've been forgiven so much, how can I hold this grudge against this person who harmed me? Friends, to tell the next generation, you can tell them or you can show them. And I tend to just yammer on and on, as you might have suspected. But I know that my children are watching. And you might have kids, you might have grandkids, you might not have kids yet. But people are watching. And they need to know of what you came out of and what God is calling you into. Would you point them to Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, your word, Lord, and how you string together such, um, such beautiful reminders of your faithfulness to us. God, in the, in the laws, in the monuments, and in our meals, Lord, everyday life events have a way of pointing people to you. Lord, you have not made yourself impossible to find. You are right there in everyday moments. So I pray, Lord, that for those of us who have walked with you a long time, that we would still see you with a fresh eye and fresh heart and a desire to seek you with all that we are. And God, for those that might be far from you or still wandering and trying to figure out their life, I pray, God, that they would meet you today that they would know that your arms are outstretched for them, just as they were for the Israelites. They are still stretched out today through the love and mercy and grace through Jesus Christ. So we pray, God, we ask for your help, your mercy, your love today. Help us to know of your grace and your mercy. Renew our hearts, renew our strength. Lord, that in our everyday activities, people would see that we love you above all everything else. We thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand in response.